0: Hey folks, and welcome to this week's podcast. Marshall Thompson of the Shy Lights is my guest today. I'd say I probably get eh, 20 emails a day with music-related PR information. Sometimes they're just press releases with information. Sometimes there's links to songs or uh, pitches for interviews. And oftentimes they're just not even appropriate for uh, this program. But... There's enough that are that I certainly have to sort through them all and listen to lots and lots of songs every day. And uh, one of the emails I got this week was about the Shy Lights getting their star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. And also the Shy Lights have a new connection to the new Rolling Stones re-release of the Stones album, Tattoo You, from the 80s. It's coming out, I think, with a four-CD set with lots of unreleased tracks from those sessions, and one of those is a cover of a Shy Lights song. That's the first single off the new uh, Stones reissue thing. It's got a video, and it's kind of a big deal. So lots going on in the world of the Shy Lights, and it gave me... Uh, and in to talk to Marshall Thompson. He is interesting position because he's without a question, he he calls himself the driving force, and he is and always has been the leader of the band, yet he's not their normal lead singer or their creative force be, be behind the band. He's not the, the songwriter or the producer, but he's always ran the band and uh, pushed the band forward, and he still has that incredible energy. Age 79, still has a great memory, so 21 songs in the Billboard Top 100, and I've said it a million times in this interview, but I want to say it one more time because I was, I guess I surprised myself. I listened to all of those early Shy Lights records and they were surprisingly excellent. I mean, I expected the, the singles to be good and some of the album tracks. I have one of the albums and I always enjoyed it, but uh, somehow just putting the whole package together, the whole discography, I really had new appreciation for how solid uh, the band was. Interesting. So, check it out. I guess that's what I'm telling you. Um, One more thing I wanted to mention this is our October fundraiser called the Hellraiser because of Halloween. And it's a great time to pledge, get a WFMU t shirt, get a sticker, maybe get one of my CD premiums. You can go to WFMU.org/slash Michael, click the little banner at the top of the page, and uh, get get all the information about the stuff you can get and how much money you can give. And uh, the best way to do it is to give five, ten, fifteen bucks a month and uh, then just forget about it and just enjoy good radio good podcasting whatever it's wfmu.org slash michael and uh, thanks in advance for doing that okay marshall thompson of the Shy Lights, interesting guy hope you enjoy this okay there are the Shy Lights, and marshall thompson joins us on the phone good morning marshall how you doing
1: Good morning to you. Pleasure to be on the phone with you, sir.
0: I heard that you just moved to Las Vegas. That's kind of an adjustment. How's that going?
1: Well, you know, been in Chicago for many, many years, and this, and you got the cold weather, and and uh, I had to get where I'm gonna be relaxed at my age now, and I think it was time to make that move.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's definitely nice and warm out there. Shy lights. Twenty one songs on the Billboard one hundred. Uh, pop chart and I'm going to sort of give you the history of the band and just you know make a long story short here I mean some of the guys in the band singing together since 1959 formed in Chicago you guys were in high school 1964 changed the name of the band to the Highlights then to Marshall and the Shylights and then 19 uh, around 1964 to shortened it to the Shylights so tell me what life was like before you got signed to a record deal where were you guys singing were you singing at parties were you singing in nightclubs what was the deal?
1: Well, in high school, it all began in high school before I started my driving force for the group to to move on with the group and take them where we were supposed to go. I started off in in high school singing on the corner for the girls, of course. (laughs) And and the girls screaming and all that. And then I took up drum lessons and everything in high school. And uh, I ended up having to get my first gig doing a show at the Regal Theater in Chicago for Gladys' Night and the Pips. I had rehearsed all her songs at home a, as a drummer. And um, when I got to sound check, where she had a sound check before a show, the drummer couldn't play her music. So I ended up going up there and asking Gladys, hey, could I play your show? She said, come on up. Your show time is about three hours from now, and I need a drummer that knows my music. So I went up there and played her music, and I got the job. That's what all
0: (laughs) that is an unbelievable story. And how old were you? I was 17. Oh, that's amazing. So, uh, were you guys? I mean, you're all in high school together. Were you rich? Were you poor? Were you guys happy? What kind of kids were you?
1: Well, I was a poor guy, you know, coming off of 47th Street. Mm. And, uh, um, but my family was, uh, musically inclined, they're doing very well. But, uh, I, I had a dream that. I, this is what I want to do. I want to, to keep doing what my family did. You know, my, my father played with Louis Armstrong, Satchmo, you know, or him. and uh, he played keyboard for him. And uh, I just wanted to follow that path, you know, and make it work. And it did.
0: Yeah, that's in- incredible. So uh, 1968, you get signed to Brunswick. How did those guys get signed? How did you all get signed to Brunswick? How were you on that label's radar?
1: Well, what happened is when I finished playing with Gladys Knight and the Pips at the Regal Theater for seven days, we used to do seven days, uh, seven shows there, and uh, I ended up going with a guy called Major Lance. He had a record out called Monkey Time, sure, which is a big big record then, and he needed a drummer. His drummer got drafted in a war in the Army, so I ended up uh, playing drum for him. He said, Marge, you, you want to play drum for me? I heard you play with Gladys Knight. I said, yes, I did. He said, well, I'm going on tour. Would you like to go on tour with me? So I ended up going on tour with him for a few years. And I came back and I told the guys, listen, we need to be out there making, doing this singing with, you know, singing our songs. just like uh, Major Lance and all the temptations and all those guys. So I ended up in Houston, Texas with Major Lance and I played drums there for him. And uh, he was late getting out the hotel. so for Showtime. So I, I asked Mr. Ray Barnett at the Ray Barnett Cinder Club, I said, listen, can I sing until he gets here? I know he's late at the hotel, but I, I can do some songs myself. So I ended up singing Gene Chandler's Rainbow and Nothing Can Stop Me by Gene Chandler on the show. So the girls went crazy again with me singing. So Ray Barnett asked me, he said, man, man, you did a great job out there. I said, that's nice, but uh, you got to hear my group in Chicago. They went to high school with me. He said, I said, can we bring him up here to sing?" he said, well, it'd be nice, but don't nobody know him. So at that time I had a manager on the drums named Muhammad Ali, the champion of the world. Okay. And the guy was with him was Mr. Reggie Thomas, which actually my manager, he worked for Muhammad Ali. So I asked Reggie, I said, Reggie, Listen, I want to come to Houston, Texas with my group, Marshall and the Shy Can you have have Muhammad Ali put his name on the marquee so he can draw the people in there? So we put Muhammad Ali's name up on the marquee, and we have people wrapped around the block.
0: (laughs) But Muhammad Ali was not part of the show? No, he wasn't at the show at
1: all. He was the manager. (laughs) of being part manager of the Shy Lights, our first
0: manager. That's very interesting. Okay, that's an interesting start in show business. Tell me for a minute about playing drums with Major Lance, because those are some tricky drum parts on those, uh, on those records.
1: Well, playing with Major Lance after I finished with Gladys Knight, he said, well, I need you to go on the road with me, because if you could play with Gladys Knight, the Pils, you could play with me. And I went on the road with, with uh, Major Lance, and did a great job with him, came back. He was with Brunswick Records up there with Carl Davis. So I was on the bus going downtown one day, and I I got off the 12th Street, that's where the office was, and I seen Major. Major said, what you doing down there, man? I just dropped you off at home from the road. I said, well, I had to come down here and get me something. So he said, hey, man, want to go up there and see Carl Davis? I said, Carl Davis, Carl Davis? He said, yeah, that's the manager's office with Brunswick so he took me up there and introduced me to Carl Davis. And then while I was up there with Carl Davis, who do I see come up steps? Nat Turnipole and Jackie Wilson. They're coming up the steps. And uh, they said, what's going on up there? I said, well, we're going to audition for Mr. Carl Davis, okay, and see if we can get here on Brundley. And we did. We went right there and sung a couple of songs for Carl Davis. And Jackie Wilson said, Sign them boys. <laughs> so that all
0: started. Gotcha. Okay, amazing, amazing story. Uh, the first LP, 1969 Give It Away, produced by Carl Davis, you know, it, it really sort of set the whole Shy Lights template, the horns, the strings, the harmonies, great songs, Eugene, mostly the lead singer of the band, most of the time, wrote a lot of the songs. Did he always have the ability to write songs? I mean, did that just show up when when that first record started to get put together?
1: He was the genius part of writing the songs, and we were the genius part of doing the backgrounds. We had Creel uh, Red Jones, which was our bass singer. He came out of High Park High School. He was a mu- musical genius. So he did all the background parts for us. And then Bruce Vadim put the microphones together for us. We had each individual mic of our own and he put our sound together for us. And then he ended up taking that sound to with Michael Jackson to do his thrillers album and other albums that he did over there.
0: Yeah, it's interesting, because I've read about uh, Bruce Swedeen. Uh, He became a, you know, he recorded all of Michael Jackson's huge hits, and he always talks, the the, the shylights are always mentioned in in this weird recording process. Was there something more to it than he just gave you guys each your own mics, or what what did he do that was different than other engineers were doing?
1: Well, he he knew our sound of our voices. Each one of us had a different type of sound on our voice, like, Squirrel, we almost had to put him out the studio because he was so loud. <laughs> mm. We almost put him across the street. <laughs> <laughs>
2: so,
1: so he came up with the microphone sound, and Red, he came up when we did the the record called Power to the People. He came up with the sound for him playing, singing the bass on a different type of mic. My sang on his second tenor. He had one for me. And, of course, Eugene Records had lead, the lead mic. He came up the sound for him. So Bruce Aden played a big part of the shallights of of our
0: sound, getting the sound. So go back to um, Eugene and songwriting. Uh, you know, you said you called him a genius. Did he just come in with the songs on a piano or a guitar and teach them to the band, or how did he uh, present you guys with the songs?
1: Well, what he did at home, he practiced his songs at home on a guitar. He was a guitar player, mm-hmm. and uh, he'll call me up. And say Marsha, I want you to hear something because he knew I was a driving force. Whatever he had, I'm gonna make sure it get to the right place. That's what I did.
2: Mm. Okay.
1: So he called me up first, and I come down. I listened to it. I said, Gene, that sounds really good. Let me pick up. Let me call Red, brother Red out thing and let him get over here so he can help you with some of the background. And that's what I did. Red came over and sit down there and work with him and got that background together for us.
0: So, when you guys were making that first record, did you? Th- what were your expectations? Did you think, "Hey, Shy Lights are going to have hit records," or were you guys thinking, "You know, I just want a career in show business"? What were your What were your dreams?
1: Well, our dream was to have a hit record, number one, mm-hmm. It wasn't easy to get a hit record. It took us ten years to get a hit record. So, so what we thought to ourselves is, is this: keep on recording things till we hit the right one. Okay. Every record you record is not a hit record. It's just a good record. Mm. We were looking for that hit record.
0: Yeah. Well, one of the things is, you know, I spent a lot of time this week listening to the entire Shy Lights catalog and it's really solid you know the albums even the ones with no hits all are real good great songs great performances amazing uh, sounding bands and stuff the second record is 1971 for God's sake give more power to the people and includes the uh, hit single Have You Seen Her which is written by Eugene and Barbara Acklin now interesting Barbara Acklin had some hits herself on Brunswick I looked on the web and uh, it seems like no one is sure whether or not Barbara and Eugene were married can you you clear that up were they married
1: no they wasn't married uh, they were just a uh, writer friends and girlfriends
0: so have you seen her reach number one on the R&B chart, number three on the Billboard Top 10? There's a lot to talk about because, like I said, that whole LP is pretty amazing. That song has fuzz guitar on it. You know, it's real, has a lot of unusual stuff going on just in the way it sounds. It sounds so huge. When they put the fuzz guitar on, for instance, did, did you guys go, yes, this is awesome? Or were you a little bit worried this may be not the most R&B touch? Or what were your thoughts?
1: What well, it was a different sound. And different things on, on records, uh, different sounds, you can wind up with a hit because it's something that people weren't used to hearing. Yeah. You know, it was creative. You had to create things. Not today's music, they're just doing the same thing that somebody else did, you know. But you have to be creative. Anytime you be creative with anything, you don't know what's going to happen. You just have to pray on it and see what happens.
0: Hmm. Uh, So tell me, what order were things recorded in? Did you guys do the vocals live with the rhythm section? Was the strings there, or or did the rhythm section go first, and then you overdubbed the vocals? How did it all—what order did the Shy Lights record?
1: Well, we always come into our recordings with the rhythm section. After we do the rhythm section, then we do our voices. The Shy Lights is one of the only groups out of a lot of the groups out there today that sung on every hit that they had, all four of us. Uh, a lot of the groups don't sing the, the the background. They just bring in the lead singer on some of the groups out there. They mm. never sung. Okay, but the Shy Lights sung on the four guys, Eugene, Squirrel, Ridd, and Marshall. We sung on every hit that we ever
0: had. Mm. So I'm sorry, I'm just not sure I understand. You, you were singing live with the, the musicians, or you would overdub right after the rhythm section? After the, rhythm, yeah, after the rhythm session get down, then we come in over Gotcha, okay. And then the strings on after that? Well, the world it'd be strings or horns. Either strings one. or horns,
1: yeah. Some
0: yeah, some amazing, I mean, like I said, listening to these records all week, some amazing quality of the musicians in Chicago. Uh, was it mostly the same crew of musicians, uh, record after record, song after song?
1: Yes, it was. We had the same guys. We had uh, Tom Tom Washington, which was a ranger. He was uh, dynamite, dynamite. We had Sonny Sanders. He came from Detroit, Michigan, up to the Motown people. And we had uh, Willie Henderson out of Chicago. He did the horns.
0: Yeah, I agree. Dynamite is a great word. What about the vocal? Uh, You mentioned the bass singer would sort of help arrange the vocals. Was it pretty natural you guys would just fall into your parts? Because the blend you guys have is so perfect.
1: Well, that came from school. It came from coming up to listening to all the other groups like... You know, we used to sing before we had hits of our own with some of the Temptations or the Dales, the O.J. I'm not that O.J., but the Dales, the Temptations, uh, the Flamingos, the Moonglows, Harvey, the Moonglows, and the Spaniels. That's what, that's what is a combination of our, our vocals.
0: Gotcha. Uh, so you guys now had a hit record. How did this success change your life? you—you you know Did you get better gigs? Did you have more money in your pocket? Did you have more respect?
1: Right. We, well, we struggled for about eight years before we got that first big one. But what happened is uh, we were sung the B-side, uh, which we thought was the B-side. Have you seen it? it? was the B-side, we thought. When we went on tour with Jackie Wilson for a whole year, we were singing the B-side, which which uh, we got to Kiel Auditorium and did the concert there. And, uh, of course, we was opening up the show for Jackie Wilson. And we came on stage... And when we came on stage, uh, Barney Hayes and Jim Gates, he said, listen, you all got to get back on the stage. We said, for what? He said, they going to tear this place up. I said, what you mean they going to tear it For what? He said, you all didn't sing, have you seen her? I said,
2: have you seen
1: her? That's a B-side. <laughs> he said, man, if you don't get on that stage and sing, have you seen her, they going to tear this place up. You Do you hear him hollering out there? Haven't seen, hasn't seen, has I mean we said, what? So when I looked at the band, our backup band, I said, Wow, what are we gonna do now? We we haven't rehearsed that. See, so Jim Gates, Jim yeah, Jim Gates said, Marsha, go out there and say do 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 and so we went out there and sung that for about fifteen minutes. The people went
0: crazy. I can understand why. But isn't it funny how, like, you guys thought that was just a B-side? Like, you can be so wrong? You know, you just never know what the folks are going to eat up.
1: You better believe it. You don't know, never know until it's out there. And another thing kind of stopped us, because that was the first time a record could get on the radio with that kind of timing. I think it was 5.08. It was unheard of back in that day, have a record on the radio at 5.08. So, and we didn't even cut it back down when we found out we was releasing it. It was still, stayed at 508 and went through the ceiling.
0: Yeah, it's a really unusual record. So tell me about Carl Davis, because at, you know, he produced a lot of records out of Chicago, Gene Chandler and Major Lance and Jackie Wilson and Tyrone Davis and others. What was he like and what is his part in the history of the band? How important was he?
1: Well, at the beginning, we was all crazy about him. You know, I was trying to go to Motown at first because I had the Jackson Five with me, you know, I had I'm one responsible for them going to Motown and you know. Uh me and Joe Jackson were partners. And um, they was on the show with us and I had Bobby Taylor who was on the show headlining and I went to ask Bobby Taylor to take us to Motown. And the Jackson 5 was here on the stage up downstairs. And I so I took him downstairs and introduced him to the Joe Jackson. And next day I found out Joe Jackson was in, in his van headed to Detroit with Bobby Jello to get a deal. <laughs> I, I said, I said, Joe, what about me? <laughs> what about, I went up there to ask, I went up there to ask Bobby Keller to take the lights to Motown, not to Jackson, you say, But I'm glad he didn't because Motown had all those super giant artists over there. You know, Temptation, Ford Tops, yeah. uh, uh, Donald Ross, so we would have got lost in the shuffle. So I'm glad that we made a decision to be with Brunnery where we end up the superstar.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's smart. So did th- So I'm sorry, you, you sort of started telling us about Carl Davis. Did things kind of sour with him as time went on? Well,
1: yeah, when we, when we got to Carl, and then Eugene got mixed up in there with producing with him. So we end up more listening to Eugene Reckman because he was with us, than more than Carl Davis. And so Gene started producing that music with his, with himself, and we pitched in to produce our own music with the rest of the group. So and we kept on moving. Then when I went to New York, we ended up with better management. Okay, and that's what took us off.
0: Let me remind folks that Marshall Thompson of the Shy Lights is our guest, and folks can get information about the band over at shy-lightsofficial.com. You, you know, the record's... Who's ever responsible? Because I know Carl did work, and then Eugene and Carl worked together, and then Eugene kind of took over. The records, like I said earlier, are still very fresh sounding. They sound, do they still sound great to you?
1: All of them sound great. I always told Eugene and Tom Tom, and uh, Willie Henderson, and uh, uh, Sonny Sanders, I say, man, you know what? We're before our time. Because especially when I was playing drums on a lot of stuff, I played drums on Crazy in Love, I played the Congos on that record. And and I knew that was before his time, too. I said, dang. Because when we came out with Are You My Woman, which was, as it ended up to be Crazy in Love, I, I thought, man, we only sold about, what, 3,000 records on, the, on Are You My Woman at that time. And then Beyonce come out with it with the same music me playing Congo's. And
0: she do about fifty million. Yeah, let's talk about 1972. The album called "A Lonely Man" and the single "Ooh Girl," a number one hit. Again, unusual. Just what we talked about last time. It's got the harmonica in there, and it peaks at number one in May of 1972. So, just first of all, like, did you know in the recording studio this time that this song was going to be the hugest song ever?
1: No, I thought that. I didn't like the song to be what it was because I figured it was too popish on the pop side. Hmm. Not knowing that's where I should have been in the first place. <laughs> you know, the pop side. You know, get, make music where everybody loves.
2: Right.
0: R&B. That top 40 sound that sort of dominated the early 70s, that everybody was listening to the same radio stations. I and mean, if you had a hit then, you really had everybody uh, listening. And yeah, that's interesting. It is kind of a pop crossover record in a way it's not you know it's just a record for for everybody so whose idea was the harmonica
1: yeah i think uh i would say eugene i played the harmonica on stage on our stage shows mm. but i think i think eugene and them because i wasn't there at first when they went down there and put the harmonica on Till when i got to the studio i heard it i said wow that's <laughs> true country country western Man, yeah we ain't gonna get no airplay with that record so Carl said, now, what?" I do give Carl the credit for the old girl because old Carl said, listen, you're going to do the Flip Wilson show, and I want you to take old girl with you. I said, Carl, that's pop, man. That ain't going to work. We're an r and group. He said, man, trust me. Take old girl with you. Man, we took old girl and did it on the Flip Wilson show along with Have You Seen Her. Old girl came out at number one <laughs> in about two months.
0: Yeah. So what's it like to walk around the world in May 1972 with a, you know, actual real number one hit record? What's that feel like?
1: Well, I, well, <laughs> I couldn't believe myself. <laughs> I, I, I was afraid to go to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> I, think I might not wake up tomorrow <laughs> and enjoy this. I mean, everything changed in your life. When you got a number one record, it just go crazy, man. I mean, you're in another situation, another world, everything.
0: Yeah, I can only imagine. You guys were, you mentioned Flip Wilson Show, and if folks can go onto YouTube and watch the video of you on Flip Wilson, you guys have these outfits that are really mind-blowing, these red and white kind of jumpsuits with these big collars and CH on them. I mean, those are some crazy clothes. First of all, do you still have those, and where did you get those, and were those expensive to have made for you guys back then?
1: Well, that wasn't too expensive, those. When we started getting them very expensive clothes when we hired the guy from London, that's that's when we started getting paying five thousand dollars dollars piece oh. for a suit. Yeah. What? That was crazy. Yeah. Okay. Five thousand dollars a piece but now was a guy from his name was uh what I've got uh, stu Damien. And he he be, he made the suits from London, he did the the uh Jacksons, he did the uh, Supremes, he did uh, a lot of people from overseas.
0: We're talking about 1972 five thousand dollars. That's like you could buy a house or one of these suits. <laughs> you better believe it. You better
1: believe it, Batman.
0: That's very crazy. expensive. That is crazy. <laughs> yeah. That. Do you have any of those outfits left? Uh, we got we
1: got a few of them. I gave a lot of them away to different museums mm. to put in there.
0: Okay, that's where yeah, that's where they belong for for sure. Yeah, so you guys were on Soul Train, American Bandstand, Sammy Davis Midnight Special. I mean, you were number one. You were everywhere. Tell me about. I mean, can you remember anything about Sammy Davis?
1: Well, Sammy Davis, I was very excited about Sammy, especially when we did Toby and he came and after the, we did the song, he came over there and hugged me and everything. I said, man, I must be nuts. Sammy Davis Jr. hugging me, <laughs> but uh. It was so exciting. I knew that we had really made it when we started doing the big shows like uh, uh, Dick Clark and the Sammy Davis Jr. and Company Show and and, uh, the Top of the Pops in London. And, you know, places like the Midnight Special and all those kind of places. I knew we was going there.
0: Uh, you know, sometimes success can kind of mess with a band. You know, you guys are, you're together on stage, you're in the hotel, in the restaurant, in the van, in the bus. You're you're always 10 feet away from each other. Did you guys, did you manage to keep it together? Did y'all get along?
1: Well, I was a driving force. They, they believed in me, and I believed in all of them. My guys were so close to me. Gene Record was very, very close to me. Squirrel was close to me, and Red. And uh, we stuck together, man, because... The driving force, I was never scared to try ideas. And if you give it to me, I'm going to make it move right. And I told Nat Turnbull, I said, Nat, could you give us a hit record? He said, if you put it in the groove, I'll make it move. (laughs) Once he made it move, he opened the door for me then I took it further with my driving force.
0: Gotcha. And Nat is the guy who uh, owned Brunswick at, at, at the time. So in Brunswick started to have kind of money problems at a certain point. And I don't want to get too deep in your business, but did they pay you uh, the appropriate royalties over the years? Well, we, we
1: never knew that part at that early days. I know we learned things later on, but at the same time, I don't know what kind of situation they was going through. So it might have took us in the situation that we was in, you know. But one thing I do know, that they made it for us, uh, made a great life out of me. I'm uh, uh, 79 years old, and i never been hungry after that. So I feel
0: good. Okay, it sounds like you are being very diplomatic to me. I mean, like maybe you didn't get everything, but you, but you got taken care of?
1: There you go. I've been very taken care of, and uh, I'm happy for that. And things could be bigger, things could be less, but I don't have no complaints in it. They 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 look out for us, they treat us like family, and it's okay with me.
0: Okay. You left Brunswick after 1975's LP, Half a Love, uh, and you did a few singles, including one, Don't Burn No Bridges with Jackie Wilson. Tell me what it was like recording with Jackie. And I know you toured with him and stuff. Was he f- fun? Was he uh, you know, he's a pretty magnetic personality?
1: Oh, you know, he's one of the best. I learned all my skills as a professional entertainer from Jackie Wilson and James Brown. Those mm-hmm. are two guys that taught me my whole professional skills.
0: Yeah, yeah, both at the top of their game. So what about when disco came in, did you guys have to adjust a little? What did you think when that came in?
1: When when they changed over to disco, we stuck with what we was doing, and we just went overseas where well, the disco wasn't really hot, hot. They were still on top of the lights type of music. So we went over there and stayed over there for a while and sold out all of our concerts, or like England, Japan, you know, Places like that, you know, Philippines, all places, Korea. We played all those countries, Hawaii.
0: Over the years, guys, members came and went. Uh, they came back, they passed away. And you, Marshall Thompson, are the guy who always kept the Shylights lights together. Always, like you said, driving force of the band. Like, is that just something you were born to do? Is that just like what you're good at?
1: Well, they came, like I said, came out from the beginning with my family. My family was driving force people, playing with all the top, you know, musicians out there. And I didn't know it was going to take me this far, especially out to Hollywood, to get as big as we were, where we are now. But I just kept it going. I mean, everybody had to have a, a trade on something. And my trade was doing what I'm doing best now. You know, I just had a uh, wife saying to me, she said, listen, man, you had to be the driving force of all of that thing to get all the way to where you are today because out of all the years around we've been around we talk every day of my life is always about a shy light shylight it never is no other conversation almost <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah you eat it you live it you breathe it yeah so the, you mentioned that um beyonce has you know uh, used your music Jay-z has sampled it uh you guys are in a lot of movies and television. When people want to show the 1970s you know, in a movie, they play one of your songs. Do you guys get a paid for that every time? Do you guys get a little piece of that?
1: Yeah, we get a royalty. We get a, a performance right like royalties. Okay, that's
0: good. Uh, so in a normal year when there's no COVID, how many shows do you play? I mean, I know you're 79 years old. How, how busy can you be? How much work can you do?
1: Uh, normally we do about, about 40.
0: 40 shows a year. Right. Yeah, and it's still fun for you?
1: It's fun. It's not, it's not like it was. It's a lot of work. <laughs> so, so I'm glad we're here in Vegas now. I am. And uh, if, when uh, some of the hotels actually book us, I don't have to go nowhere. I had to bring the guys up from Chicago, the rest of my new guys. But, but it's, it's relaxing to me.
0: Gotcha, yeah. So now Las Vegas will be the Shy Lights uh, home base, and you can play all those. There's a million places to play, probably just a mile from your house. So in the history of the band, what is the lowest point of the band? What's the highest point of the band?
1: What I would say the lowest point is when we first started. Uh, When we first started going up and down the road, sleeping in cars, sleeping, didn't have enough money to eat, uh, eating ice cream to fill your stomach up and uh coming we came through all those kind of ranks and uh as time went on and like i say we got into certain areas when we started building 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 started moving up moving up moving up got back to chicago got the gig with gladys knight or on drums came back and got the guys again and took them on the road i mean came back got again went downtown and got that uh break with uh brundrick records and that was, that's when our hikes started going up, up, up and away.
0: <laughs> that's a perfect answer from you. Just uh, you, you, It's just been a one-way trip up. It's amazing. The songs have had such a life. I mean, especially Oh Girl and Have You Seen Her. But like I said, the albums are really full of great stuff. And there's been a whole 21 songs on, on the charts. It's a lot of songs. And I know that I think Oh Girl was number 36 of the top 100 songs of the century. It's It's one of those songs that's just, its life is really going to be a long life. Is there anything you can put your finger on that, why this music is so, you know, there's other songs from those times that were just as big hits that people don't remember as well. Do you know, can you put your finger on why those Shy Lights songs are so important and why they stand the test of time for people?
1: Well, I would say this, it's basically because there's real music. It's real instruments playing, okay? We got we didn't have to have synthesizers playing fake horns, playing fake strings, you know, playing fake drums. Everything was from the, like you bake a cake. You say, oh, mom, make a great pound cake. And the ingredients in that pound cake, what made it a great pound cake. But if you just get something, a store-bought, and all you do is pull it out the box and it it's already mixed. It's not as good as a person uh, putting each in the ingredients in the in that cake to make it do what it do. So that's what's happening with our music. Our music is real music. I played drums on a lot of it. I played congos on a lot of it. Uh, Tom Tom had had the strings. Uh, Willie Henderson had the horns. Uh, Sonny Sanders had the horns and strings, and he took out uh, a lot of his. Uh, uh, schooling from Detroit, Michigan, up there, where they had the super musicians up there, so all those ingredients coming back to Chicago in the studio together reached a lot of people, and a lot of people made them babies off of music. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, that's great. Uh, I'll tell everybody one more time. It's chi litesofficial.com for information about Marshall Thompson and the Shy Lights and hopefully some gigs coming up soon in the Las Vegas area or uh, who knows, could be anywhere around around the globe. Uh, do you mind if we hear Ooh Girl one more time?
1: Yes, you can. <laughs> oh Girl, it's
0: great. Thank you, sir. I really appreciate you spending some time with us this morning.
1: Thank you so much. I really enjoyed you. And tell everybody around their town, don't forget to tell the promoter. Because I like wanting to come in your town to do our thing so they can hear all those greatest hits. Thank you so very kindly. i tell you what, I really love your interview, how you do your interviews, and keep up the good work. Thank you.